everyone, and welcome back to the N-Express Nintendo Podcast, the official Nintendo podcast of Goombastomp.com. I'm your host, Cameron Dax, and joining us, we have game as editor, Mark Kalaroff. Cameron, did you know it's Friday the 4th? Wait, oh, it's not Friday the 13th, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the 14th. Excellent. Oh, leave oh, it in. Sh- Excellent oh, job. No. That was oh, an wonderful. unlucky mistake to put right there. So. I loved it. We, and of course, you're hearing the voice of indie games editor, Campbell Gill. That you are. Um... I'm not even going to try and make a pun for fear of messing it up this time. So, yeah. <laughs> See, this is what happens when we take a week off. We get all a little rusty. Uh, of course, we had taken a week off because we had some technical difficulties recording last week along with uh, finals week for some members of this pod. So we were taking a little time to ourselves, but now we're coming back strong. we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Uh, we wanted to start it off with, um, you know... Sometimes it's a busy week. It's Mother's Day weekend this past weekend. Lots of stuff to think about. Lots of, you know, some of those of us who have day jobs, obviously we're working hard all weekend, trying to take care of our moms, make everybody happy. Sometimes you want to de-stress after all of that. And oftentimes the best way to de-stress is watching a little bit of TV. Mark's been watching a great show. Castlevania, the Netflix original, the season four, the final season of this great animated series. Uh, Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience watching and reviewing the show. So before I talk about the show, I do want to say I actually saw this over a week ago. So oh, sure. yeah, it's been a, it's been a little while, but I did um, rewatch some of it. And overall, I'm just going to say this. If you haven't seen Castlevania seasons one through three, you're doing yourself a disservice. Even if you don't even like Castlevania, it's just a fantastic show. I mean, it is hands down the best video game adaptation there's ever been from the characters to the animation even the music score is incredible. Just everything about it is just straight out of Castlevania. It feels like the game. It always writes better than the games. I mean, they're turning one-dimensional characters into actual full-blown story arcs and narratives, and it's all just great. For a little background, season one, really good. Season two, I thought was incredible. And then season three, I thought was also incredible, but I thought it slipped a bit in pacing. But season four, it's not the best season yet, but it's a very good one at that. It's not a perfect ending, in my opinion, due to pacing, again, but I do think that it's a great season overall. I think fans are going to be satisfied with it. I think there's going to be some debates around the ending, and I can't talk about any of it here, but when you see it, you'll know what I mean. <laughs> Interesting. Intrigue. We've got a little bit of intrigue to uh, to tide us over. Um that's great. Yeah, I agree with what you said earlier, Mark, in terms of uh, this being one of the great, one of the greatest video game adaptations. I remember watching the trailer for the very first season years ago, and just being like, "I can't believe they're making a show about Castlevania." Like that seems kind of, kind of out of left field. But then, just after after watching those, particularly the last like couple episodes of season one, I was very hooked. Um, after Alucard shows up, it was very much like on board with that. Um, so yeah, I'm. I'm very excited to finally finish up this series and kind of see what see what it all see what it all comes to and see how they wrapped it all up. Yeah, here's the thing about Castlevania. I feel like it was kind of with season three, they were kind of just trying to stretch the narrative out. It didn't always feel like the characters were going in like a needed direction, especially Alucard, who's stuck in the castle the whole time. He had a great story, but I feel like in terms of Castlevania, they weren't really doing much in the time period with Trevor Belmont. And everyone who knows the series knows it goes on and on for different eras and all new Belmonts, Richter, Simon, um, Soma Cruz, and all these different characters. So... I think it's good that they're ending here. And Netflix is eyeing a spinoff, so maybe we'll see Simon or Richter in the future. But um, should I go into detail? <laughs> oh, that's up to you. I, I think I think people who listen to this show, like I know that I personally would re- prefer not to be spoiled. That's just me. Because um, uh, obviously the, the reason uh, Mark got to review it early, or got to watch it early rather, is because he was reviewing it for the site. So he got to watch it a week, to, or two weeks I should say, before everybody else does uh, gets the chance to see it. So I don't know, if there's anything you could talk about without any like major plot spoilers, maybe like a couple general things you might have liked or didn't like? Uh, so I'll just go through a few bullet points. Uh, yeah. Trevor and Sypha, they're back hunting vampires and doing their thing, you know, killing night creatures, going across the country. Their stuff is great. It's nothing original compared to last season. It's more, it feels like a direct continuation, which it is. It takes place six weeks after what we last saw, and it's great. You're going to enjoy it. There's not really much else to say about them. They're highly tied to the main narrative at hand. 
Uh, Alucard has a way better role this season. The they do so much with him. He's in his Symphony of the Night gear. It's fantastic. All Hell the action yeah. with him. Awesome. Um, he meets a character. I'm not going to go into her, but she is definitely interesting. I wish they did more with her. But more importantly, tied to Alucard is Saint Germain this season because he got to interact with Trevor and Sifo last time. So now he's here with him. He has a fantastic story. I He was, one I, once again, one of my favorite characters. The show, though, kind of slips with the Vampire Sisters. I felt like they really underutilized them, and especially um, Striga and Morana. For some reason, they have their own little story, and it feels like it doesn't really go anywhere because we don't really know much about the characters. But Lenore and uh, Carmilla, of course, they get some screen time. They have some great action scenes. Um, yeah, I mean, they're doing their thing. Isaac and Hector, of course, are always phenomenal. They get a lot less screen time, sadly, this season. Hector has a little bit more than last time, maybe. But Isaac could definitely use some more. It felt like they're sort of just getting him out of the way at the beginning, which is a shame. Because mm. without spoilers, um, some of these characters do not show up for a period of time, and it is baffling like how long they go missing and then come back to the narrative and it is a real pacing issue with the show once again because perfect example trevor and sypha they show up at the beginning and they bookend the end but in the middle like two episodes they're just not there they show up for maybe like less than a minute and it's the most baffling thing that they're just like missing from two whole episodes it's just really weird, and I feel like some story arcs also end early, but way too early in the narrative. Not going to go into spoilers again, but in episode six, one character is straight up the last time you ever see him, and it is so huh. baffling. I was waiting for him to show up for the last four episodes, and I was like, how did he not show up again? Like, how was that it for him? And it was just, it was really confusing. <laughs> it was it was so odd, but had they placed it at the ending of the show, I feel like it would have been a perfect ending for the character. So I think it's really just the pacing is a huge problem this season. And maybe that's because Warren Ellis got fired. And if you know what happened with the main writer, then you already know. If you don't know, <laughs> it was a lot going on behind the scenes and you probably don't want to hear his name again. But uh, yeah, I maybe it was his involvement. Maybe it wasn't because he wasn't there. But the pacing just feels off this season. And it's really a shame because I feel like it could have concluded in like a more efficient matter in its storytelling because there's a bunch of great stories going on, but it feels like when it comes to screen time and pacing, they sort of didn't know how to ration everything out. And I think that's been the biggest problem with the show since day one. A lot of people complain about how in the second season, like the villains take up too much time, which I really love the villains of the show. So it was never a problem with me, but I definitely do see a complaint that uh, Trevor, Sypha, and Alucard in season two didn't get much screen time. But yeah, the problems of elongating everyone's stories and going into the future, it definitely seeped into the final season. And that being said, I think it was a great, you know, ending point for the series. I can't wait to see what they do in the future with Netflix and Castlevania together. Hopefully we'll see like Richter or Simon Belmont story or even Soma Cruz would be awesome if they did that. But uh, yeah, it's good. And you should watch it. And if you haven't seen Castlevania, then go watch it. Awesome. Yeah, it's like as Mark said, it's they do a lot with some characters that in the games are not, you know, barely fleshed out. But they really do add some really fantastic character arcs. Um, it's a shame that it appears that some of it doesn't seem to be as resolved as cleanly as we might have liked. But uh, I think what they do, uh, particularly like you had mentioned in season two, is is really great. Um, so yeah, if you're a fan of of adaptations, you know, give it a shot. Have, have you guys checked out any of the other one? Uh, uh, what's what is there? There's like Dragon's Dogma. Um, I guess there's the Witcher show. Have you guys watched any of those other ones? The Witcher is awful. Don't even get me started. <laughs> I, in, I thought it was it's all incomprehensible. Right. It's incomprehensible. I can't even follow anything going on. It's like <laughs> that is oh, awesome. Um, I, I enjoyed and you guys it know for, I love Metal Gear Solid, so I can follow the incomprehensible. <laughs> <laughs> Mark is familiar with some nonsense, but uh, the show is particularly that show. Nonsensical. Yeah, that show is nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, great action though. Like the uh, oh yeah, the first episode. The, yeah, when he the, when he the, kills the a big spider or something. Oh my oh, god, a couple of great, great sword fights. Yeah. Like some really cool action. Like yeah, the plot's a little all over the place, but the action is oh the is plot's pretty, garbage. Yeah, 
I mean, first <laughs> I'm just waiting to actually play the game before I watch the show. You know, I have That's it fair. sitting on my on my PS5, but I've not touched it yet. Oh, so, you're gonna you know. you're gonna need more than that to help understand it. You <laughs> gotta read like the books. I'm not even kidding. It's not even a joke. You it's need like very, the yeah, books a lot and of, the novels and a it's lot ridiculous. of uh, a lot of stuff to consider before you dive into that. I'm one. going to use uh, my I, inner JRPG fan skills to you know decipher <laughs> the multimedia requirements to comprehend <laughs> yeah. the story. So, um. That's awesome. But yeah, it's it's interesting when they do adaptations of of big video games because, like, of course, they got that Last of Us adaptation coming out from HBO in the next like year or two. Ooh, hopefully I'm very curious. Be good. I'm very uh-huh. curious to see what they do with that because it's like I think what's great about the Castlevania one is that they really do they really did make their own story. They really were like, all right, well, here's kind of the general stuff that happens in Castlevania three. But, like, what if we spun off a couple of these side characters? What if we built this arc around these relationships? And they do a really great job. So it's like it incorporates stuff from the video game, but also its own, you know, its own plot that you don't have to, you know, you don't have to have played Castlevania 3 to understand what's going on. You know, you can just kind of watch the show. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas perhaps a failing of The Witcher is that they really are relying a little too much on, like, outside sources. It's, It's very difficult to go into that show cold, even if you've, like, you know, played the Wild Hunt on your Switch or whatever. It's like it's not quite the same as having read, you know, the five Witcher books or whatever. It's like a little more difficult to go in cold. So I don't know. It's always interesting when they adapt um, a show or a movie out of a game. Um, but Castlevania is easily one of the best ones of that. Yeah, of that, the people uh, behind it. I mean, the casting yeah. they did was phenomenal. I mean, Richard Armitage, uh, Bill Nighy. Yeah. Just everyone in that show is doing a phenomenal job up until the end. They knock yeah. it out of the park. And then the other and thing course, is yeah. the animation. The animation. I was is about just to say incredible. that. Mm-hmm. I was just about to say it. The animation's really phenomenal. They do some great callbacks to, like, like there's a part where uh, where Trevor like, Trevor like he finds the freaking you know some boomerangs and he like throws them and it's like it does the boomerang thing that you see in the game. Like it's there's some great callouts in the animation to previous Castlevania games. It's just like for fans of that series to see it animated is very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my favorite things when I watch, I want to say it was, I can't remember if it was in like season two or so, but there was a fight scene and then Bloody Tears started playing in the background. And I was yeah, just like, yes, season. I loved, yeah. loved that moment. So that actually raised a question that I was curious about for season four. How is just the fan service this time around? Like, does it have a lot of cool callbacks <laughs> like that? Or... Uh, do I talk about it or not? Uh, I was, yeah, I'm not sure if you can get okay. into that with spoilers or not. But. I can't. There's some things I can't say. But what I will say is that it is not your typical Castlevania ending. Mm. And I think fans are going to be really happy with it. Some. They're going to be really interested with if they do like a spinoff that they're talking about. I think it'll be really interesting to see where it goes. But um, when it comes to like weapons and character appearances and all that stuff, it is so fan service if you saw the trailer you know that um death is in it he's the antagonist of the newest season and he is phenomenal like i just don't even want to go into it if you know him from the games from symphony of the night and rondo of blood you're you're gonna love it Mm. yeah no i'm very curious about that i love death from rondo of blood so um that's gonna be very cool to see that's rad uh yeah cannot cannot wait to check it out uh, mark by the time this episode comes out will your stuff be up on the site Yes, it will. Awesome. This, so make sure you it comes out. out tomorrow, which is the 12th. So this episode should be out the 12th, even if it's oh, perfect. Like afternoon or night. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. so for you for you listening, make sure you check out Mark's uh, rundown of the latest season of Castlevania, the Netflix original. Um, so yeah, I guess that about wraps it up for our discussion of the video game adaptation uh, of this Castlevania series. Anything else we want to kind of mention before we take a quick break and move on to our main segment? Please watch it. <laughs> just so we can get more please. just like just please please it's the only good video game adaptation just yeah. just give it a watch yeah i think that's i think that's a stirring a stirring endorsement well because and this will lead to our next thing you know a lot of the times because a company you know like netflix or for example nintendo will take a risk and put something out that maybe people hadn't heard of before or weren't interested in and it takes off in a huge way and lets them, you know, release more things down the line or remake more things down the line. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back to talk about a long dormant Nintendo franchise called Famicom Detective Club. So hang tight and we'll be right back.
back. So we have an interesting game to, uh, an interesting couple of games, I should say, to talk about here. So Famicom Detective Club, a series from the original Famicom. We haven't seen one of these in, in what, 20, 30 some odd years? Um, 33, I believe. 33 years. Thank you so much. Uh, At least for the first one. 32 for the, first for the one, second. Right? <laughs> there you go. So the this series of games uh, is a series of, I guess you'd call them graphic novels, or not quite. They're more like mystery games. Mystery, yeah, they're visual novels. Mystery, visual adventure, novels. visual novels. Yeah. So this, this series of mystery, adventure, visual novels that has not seen a new entry in forever, Nintendo, to me at least, seemingly arbitrarily decided to just remake them with beautiful new art and put them on the Switch very recently. So uh, Mark and Campbell played the two games in this collection, uh, which are The Girl Who Stands Behind and The Missing Heir. Is that correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, why don't, we, why don't we talk about that? I guess Mark should go first because you played the first one, right? Yeah. So actually, we're in a very odd scenario because Nintendo has been advertising them with um, The Girl Who Stands Behind first, even though the original game was um, The Missing Heir. So... It's kind of weird that they're doing that, but it's understandable because uh, The Girl Who Stands Behind is a prequel sequel, so... Oh, boy. Maybe you should start with that. Maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> it's it's a huge debate. But, um, yeah, so just going into it, Famicom Detective Club is you play as a detective and you have to solve a crime. And that is the simple premise, since we can't talk about basically anything from these games. <laughs> yeah, we, we should say these are these are mystery games. Uh, murder mysteries so obviously if you're trying to like they're not they're not letting us talk about any any of the main plot beats because of the spoilers so i guess i guess we'll mostly be talking about like generalities kind of the history of the series what it's like to play them in general i suppose or am i wrong no you're completely right i think you're right (laughs) i mean i guess that's that's about all we can that's about all we can do um so Uh, so so, go ahead yeah i'll give you i'll give a basic plot synopsis without any details so um, in The Missing Air, what you're doing is you wake up after falling off a cliffside, falling with quotations, and you have to solve a mystery from scratch about the death of someone who we also can't go into. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's what you got to do. So you have amnesia and you have to figure out yourself and this case at hand and it goes back and forth between them and with you to help solve the case is a Yumi Takabana who is basically like the unofficial mascot of the game and that's where I'll let Cam- Campbell go into his discussion. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say don't ask me cuz I I have not played these so I I would be no help at all. <laughs> right, please explain the game you have no idea about. Um yes, well, of so, course, Famicom Detect. No, go ahead. Yeah. So the game I reviewed is uh The Girl Who Stands Behind, which is essentially a prequel to The Missing Heir, and you play as the same character in both games. In this game you find out how your main character became a detective in the first place. It turns out that He's essentially an orphan looking to find his missing parents and somehow ends up being uh, taken into the the care of a senior detective. And he becomes an assistant detective, and before long, he gets put on the case of a murder of a girl whose body has been found washed up from the river, strangled to death. And as as you start to investigate the murder, it's not long before... um, First of all, you team up with the girl's best friend, who is, like Mark was mentioning, Ayumi Tachibana, who has become probably the most well-known character from the series because she actually has like a trophy in Smash Bros. Melee, was considered as a fighter in that same game as well. She's pretty popular among the, the few people who actually have played the games. So as you're investigating this murder, it's not long before the eponymous girl who stands behind comes into play. And she's essentially a ghost that haunts the school that the murder victim went to. And there are so many amazing like plot twists and wrinkles that happen as you're trying to investigate this murder, as you see how the murder and the legend and a whole bunch of other things are all connected together. But you can't really, you know, obviously I can't describe both much of that because of both the embargo descriptions and because the joy of playing this game like with any mystery is just going along for the ride and seeing how it ends up you know but even with that vague level of detail i can assure you that the way it all connects the way it all resolves it's such a a brilliant mystery and it's such a a satisfying thing to play through it is both are brilliant 
they, they're just really good. I mean, you can technically look up the entire game if you wanted to, because they were on the NES, and the one you played was on the SNES also. It was remade for that mm -hmm. system. So technically, the full games are out there, but if it's your first time, which who isn't it their first time, then, you know, don't look up to anything about it. Just just go right in. If you think you're going to be interested in it, the thing I would recommend is read the descriptions for both games before choosing which one you want to play first. Because, to be honest, looking back on it, I kind of wish I played the one you played, Campbell. <laughs> I mean, and honestly, vice versa for you, Mark, because, like, each game has its own unique qualities. And one thing I'll say about The Girl Who Stands Behind is since it's a sequel... Or, well, it's a prequel, but it came out after The Missing Air. The systems are a little more well-developed. The story is a bit more cinematic. There are a number of events throughout the narrative that honestly, like, had my heart pounding because of how, like, intense and, like, even if it is a visual novel, they were, like, action-packed even in terms of just the narrative developments that occurred. So, you know, if you're into that kind of more cinematic quality and even if you want a touch of horror in it, you know, because the plot deals a lot with the idea of a ghost of a dead girl haunting a school, you know, there are some elements of the supernatural in it. So, you know, if you're into that kind of cinematic quality or with, you know, having elements of the spiritual thrown in there, uh, The Girl Who Stands Behind is a really kind of compelling game that you should uh, probably check out over The Missing Air. Yeah, The Missing Air so, is definitely more so like a family dynamic, and it's about solving this family mystery. That's really all I can say about it. But it's definitely... It's very character-focused in the way where it focuses on the protagonist. Because Ayumi Takabana, like, barely appears in it. I know you told me um, before the podcast that she is definitely... She has, a like, a way more prominent role in the game that you played. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I will say that the protagonist, you know, they set up that, you know, he doesn't know his parents, he's trying to find his lost parents, whatever... But that's essentially all the character development that you really get for your your player character in The Girl Who Stands Behind. It really focuses more on Ayumi Tachibana and like um, her character development and her experiences. She has some really cool moments uh, throughout the story. She's just a really great character. Um, if you're into, you know, uh, female characters who can take the uh, take action to their own hands, you're gonna love Ayumi. She's fantastic. And if you consider the fact that the game came out in 1989, you know, in a time when games didn't have a lot of strong female characters, it's really, really cool to see that. And it holds up great today, too. And it's definitely vice versa for, like, my thing with uh, the male protagonist. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for more of his story, then you should play The Missing Heir. But after looking at gameplay for you know, the girl who stands behind, I'm going to take a hunch and say that maybe you should play that one first. <laughs> but if you want to get, obviously, like, more advanced into it, and if you really enjoy the first one, then there's clearly, like, more skills and stuff to use in the second one. And, the you know, the gameplay is a lot more um, fleshed out in The Girl Who Stands Behind rather than The Missing Air. Because, obviously, it came out a year before, which <laughs> is, is pretty ridiculous to say, but, you know, it was the NES era, so... Mm -hmm. It's acceptable. Developments were being made rapidly throughout it, and it is kind of fun. Mm -hmm. I've I've been I have been looking at you know some gameplay of the Missing Air as well, and I got a sneak peek at your review too. So I mean you know yeah, the Missing Air might not have the same level of thrills and development that the Girl Who Stand Behind does, but it seems like from what we're talking about, the games really do complement each other really well. And like you oh know, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like so, hearing what you just said, like you literally answered every single one of your questions like in my mind. Nice. Yeah, no, it's like, you know, Mark, you were talking about how it's kind of strange for Nintendo to be marketing the two games together, almost as if they're one package, even with their, you know, being sold separately. But they do really play into each other really well, probably beyond the extent of a normal, you know, sequel, prequel kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. They really do complement yeah. each other as one extended game. Yeah, outside of gameplay, I mean, they are literally completely different stories. They have such different narratives and such different directions. They sort of have some of the same aspects like, oh, there's a legend and like there's this dynamic to these certain characters. So it's like you have that, but the main narrative at the core is just like so different that they're completely different games. 
Right. And I will say that even with that cat, how different those stories are. I'll say that at least for the girl who stands behind, the story is like stunningly well executed in terms of how it slowly teases out new details about these mysteries, about these murders and about, you know, the character mm -hmm. developments, the ways that it teases that all out and ties it all together in the end. It's impressive for any game released today let alone for a visual novel released on the Famicom back in 1989. Yeah, the same thing with The Missing Air. It's it's definitely mm -hmm. in that ballpark. Yeah. So, you know, on the one hand, th these remakes don't really add a lot of actual functional changes to the game. They are essentially the same as they were in 1988 and 1989, but that's not a bad thing considering how solid those packages were to begin with. All they really needed to do was add that aesthetic coat of paint, add the voice acting, remix some music, maybe tweak a few things here and there, and that's good to go. And that's exactly what you have with this package, and it works very well. It does. I think it's fascinating that... Um, so do you know anything, either of you, about the, the Super Nintendo remake that you just mentioned? Yeah, it's literally just a remake of the second game. Uh -huh. And it, like they just added a feature called the notepad, which allows you to like view some of your investigation notes, which they put in these two versions. They're both here. I was about to. But, um, yeah, I was about to. Ask the notepad that, yeah. doesn't add too much to the game. It's useful in certain scenarios, but I only cracked it open once, which is to see what it was. That Same was the here. only time at the beginning because we obviously played it in one weekend. So it's different for a player who sits down and it's like maybe I'm gonna finish the game in a couple sittings over the course of maybe two, three weeks. They might find more use in it. I personally didn't. Yeah. And the games are pretty short. They're five hours. They're split into... Campbell, are we allowed to say how many chapters? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think Let's we can probably say... say how many chapters are. It, it's yeah, out the wall. You can go say. to Wikipedia yeah. and see how many chapters are. So Yeah, that's true. Okay, so there's 11 chapters in each game. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, and one thing I will say is that, you know, the notepad function is nice, but yeah, like Mark, I didn't really use it all that much because honestly, these games are so linear that you don't really need to go over your notes to figure out what you're going to do and what you're going to find out or anything because more often than not, progression is as simple as talking to a character and exhausting all the dialogue options until you, you learn what you need to know. So, you know, it's not like, say, in Ace Attorney, where you need to review all the evidence that you have to figure out which piece you're going to present to make your argument. You know, instead, it's just click on all your options, look at the environment until, you know, you find that clue you're looking for, or you come up with that epiphany that tells you where you need to go next. You know, it's not, it doesn't really give you much flexibility that way. So it's nice that they have Certainly. that feature, but yeah. it's not required, I would say. Mm -hmm. Cameron, you sounded like you were about to ask something. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, I was just saying that uh, the, the, the whole concept of Nintendo just, um, like, going back to the well for this specific series of games is absolutely fascinating to me. I, I really wonder, like, why this game? Why now? Like, what, what series of decisions were like, you know what? You know what needs a... a total top to bottom remake famicom detective club it's like <laughs> just seems very strange to me yeah um this game is so fascinating if you look at the history of nintendo and see how the game was created because what i think is especially interesting is that this game was directed or i'm sorry it was written by the by uh the guy who would go on to direct super metroid which is so interesting to think about like such a genre shift um and it's just so strange to think of nintendo of all companies working on on a visual novel you know you have the certain idea of what a nintendo game is it's a platformer it's you know, an adventure game multiplayer whatever but this was back in the time when nintendo was still relatively young as a software developer and working on you know playing out a whole variety of games for the famicom it's so interesting to kind of play this game as a relic of nintendo from the past and then see it uh polished up with the this modern treatment and better yet um it wasn't nintendo alone that worked on the remakes they've teamed up with a company called mages which some of you might know for working on the steinsgate games as well as the corpse party series so it's really kind of like the perfect blend of experience making these high-end visual novels and experience making classic horror games so it's this really interesting partnership that you wouldn't exactly imagine for this kind of modern release and they pulled it off i'd say excellently i will say this I know why this game didn't come to the U.S., and it is because, not even going to go deep into it, but the whole game, I was just playing through it, and I was like, why did this never come to the U.S.? And then I got up to one scene where you have to analyze a body 
who's hanged himself. And Oof. I was blown away. I was like, th there's a reason why this didn't come to the U.S. Well, <laughs> well and especially, especially in the 80s. When it was oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. When, like, the slightest bit of of violence or anything like that was mm -hmm. was just seen as an anathema to, to video games in general so it's that's really fascinating <laughs> oh man yeah, I, mean, I mean it's like you had to they couldn't even call a cross in castlevania a cross they had to call it a boomerang so yeah. it's like you know no i am thinking of a few scenes towards the end of the girl who stands behind that would not have flown back in the 80s or in the 90s because oh my goodness i wish i could talk about them it's this game can get brutal at times but it is so good how they pull it off oh my gosh so you know, i'm very glad that the environment has changed so that way we can actually experience these games i my jaw was literally dropped at that moment that i'm talking about because i was like they went there oh my god this is insane and it was so satisfying so i know that's kind of yeah. vague the, but yeah <laughs> the cinematic direction for these games is so well executed even if it's like for the missing air it's a lot more stills than like the cinematics that you got to see in the girl who stands behind. Mm -hmm. But even then with the stills, it's like it, just the direction and the way they pull it off. It is so well done and it gets you just so into the story. Yeah. And one thing I'd add is that like in most like visual novels you have today, characters are mostly like static portraits and you just see the dialogue box and they're talking maybe their lips move a little bit but in this one they actually have a lot more animations the characters oh, yeah. you know, like their their faces mm -hmm. move they nod they'll you know they'll wave their hands there's characters who like you know they'll be playing tennis or they'll be you know painting in the background you know these characters are actually living and that's a great element of motion that they add to a genre that is so often defined by just static images and a lack of life essentially so it's not just about the words that you're reading yes it's a visual novel but they really invest in the visuals as well making it a more well-rounded right. package D did you guys ever play this is this has nothing to do with famicom detective club it just made me think of it did you guys ever play any of the danganronpa games no Can't i always wanted I to get into them mm -hmm. gotcha gotcha i think they're i was just looking right now as you were talking i think they're on switch or coming to switch they maybe are one, not. Maybe, I know because I've been, I've been, okay. you know, wanting them to come to Switch because I do gotcha. want to play them and I want to play that on Switch, you know, because well, it's a perfect platform should, for that. They should come to Switch. Um, but the, the reason I brought it up is because, uh, Campbell, they do exactly what you were talking about in terms of making what, what an otherwise static, you know, visual novel, novel type, type of setup into something very dynamic and interesting. Um, but it sounds as though Nintendo's done the legwork here, too, with, with these remakes. Mm -hmm, absolutely it is uh you can definitely tell that it's a more high budget approach to creating visual novels than you typically have with you know these very small japanese indie companies or whatever making these kinds of games so it's nice to imagine you know nintendo working on such a kind of niche genre and kind of elicits um it supports the imagination to think like, oh man, what if Nintendo made a new visual novel? What if they made um, another Famicom Detective Club game? What if it was well, the Switch Detective right. Club? You know, like that'd be so cool. That, that's hilarious. Well, it seems to me that that, like, am I insane in assuming that the reason they would announce these remakes would be that there would be some kind of a secret, you know, sequel in the works? Either that or Ayumi Takibana could finally be coming to Smash after all these years. <laughs> I I doubt that. I mean, I doubt it. That would be cool. I'm telling you, after playing The Girl Who Stands Behind, I really want her in Smash. See, she is such a cool character, and, you know, not spoiling anything, but she could have a good moveset. So, yeah. Yeah, these, I will say this about both protagonists in the games, the female and male, they are hidden badasses <laughs> that you don't expect <laughs> at times. They really do have, like, a lot of secret characterization. And I love, if you go to the Nintendo eShop page, you can actually view, like, some descriptions about Ayumi and the protagonist. Oh, yeah, and that's it's, like, so, so great. funny. Yeah, because they're, like, for Ayumi, they're like, oh, she's a black belt and loves heavy metal music. And it's just, like... When I first played The Missing Air, I was like, what? <laughs> and they don't even touch on that in uh, The Girl Who Stands Behind either. So they just straight up added that lore for the eShop page, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, or it's probably in like a manual or guide or gotta, gotta something. Lure in in, gotta lure them in somehow, you know? It, honestly, Mark, that's that's probably what it is. It was probably information that was only in the manual. And now, you know, manuals are kind of a thing of the past. So they have to 
find different ways to put that yeah. information in the game. There is that, or uh, one thing that Mark and I were also talking about is there is actually a third game in the series, yes. but it was limited to the Satellaview in Japan, which was, for those of you who don't know, essentially a broadcast service of games that were available for a limited time on your Super Famicoms, and then obviously because the service is no longer active, that game is essentially lost to time, as far as I can tell. So, you know, it would be great if they could bring that back for another remake, you know, but... Mm -hmm. that game is actually on the internet you can oh, watch the it? whole thing on youtube yeah oh, it's kind of hard because they're all like in there's no like english subtitles or anything so we'll never get the story here unless if someone translates it mm. but um yeah they they do have someone managed to archive the game it's out there oh that's great okay interesting yeah i really hope the nintendo um digs that up then because you know these yeah, first two games are fantastic as a sequel yeah yeah, yeah. Well, you have to imagine that they're they're closely monitoring how well this game does. From what I understand, it's been reviewing pretty well. So you have to you have to imagine that Nintendo is looking at that closely to see if and how they follow up to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the impressions have been really positive so far, yeah. especially just yeah, just all across the board. I mean, <laughs> I would hope because I know the title can be a bit primitive is not the right word, but uh, it doesn't exactly yeah. roll off the tongue. Yeah. It doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, is uh, yeah. is right. It yeah, doesn't. and there are some gameplay elements that you know you can kind of tell about the technological limitations that the game had. For example, there's mm -hmm. one time if you I mentioned this in the review that I'm writing. Um, there's a moment where it's like you know exactly what you need to do, but you don't know the extremely specific, arbitrary way that the game wants you to do it. There was one moment where I was talking to a character, and I knew I had to get the character to another room so that way nobody would be eavesdropping the conversation. But you can't just talk to the character and say, hey, let's go to another room. Instead, you have to go to another location, use the think command, which will then make you realize that you have to talk to the character there, and that which will then summon them in front of you. So, you know, it's, there are moments like that that can feel mm. a bit impenetrable to the, the modern player who might expect, you know, a few ways to achieve the same objective like you would have in a modern game with, like, branching paths and whatnot. But instead, it is pretty strictly linear and not really flexible. But even then, you know, like we kind of mentioned earlier, you can typically get around those kinds of restrictions by just exhaustively selecting every option until something clicks so you know it, there are some frustrations like that but overall the the package as a whole still feels strikingly modern in terms of the the story that it's telling the cinematic qualities the thrilling the pace all that kind of stuff okay so there is a little bit of that uh kind of more archaic design of that you have to kind of brute force some stuff yeah, just a little bit. I would say that, you know, it's not a huge issue because it doesn't occur like, you know, every other every other screen or every other chapter or anything like that. But um, it does happen. It does kind of slow down the pace just a bit, at least in The Girl Who Stands Behind. I don't know if that happens in The Missing Air as well. But. No, there's definitely some moments. So there was one particular moment that really stumped me, but I obviously got through it i mean i published the review or it's you know will be published soon i will say <laughs> by the time but, of this uh, recording so. yes by the time of this recording you can read my review and campbell's of both games mm -hmm. yeah nice so you know even then you know yeah it would have been nice if the remake had addressed some of those issues but overall the additions that they did make are fantastic the animations are fantastic and one more thing they'll add is you know the music the audio in general is incredible the music is fantastic in setting the stage whether it's just mm -hmm. ambient stuff that's playing in the background while you're having conversations or this like surprisingly intense um intense music that's playing during those serious action scenes that's really just ha uh, heightening the tension so you know it really has a great audio setup in addition to the japanese voice acting that they put in as well you know obviously it's probably not going to be too important for english speaker uh english speaking audiences who aren't going to be able to understand the voice acting but it does add another layer of uh of quality to it, it makes it feel like it's some sort of like japanese did, did soap they, opera you know so did they add english mm -hmm. voice acting as well or no they did no. not Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I mean, the English localization, the text, is still really great, though. So mm -hmm. We're not even getting a physical release. It's digital only. Oh, it's digital, digital only? Yeah. Yeah, this is clearly like a testing the waters type of game right. for Nintendo. How fascinating. Yeah, I'm so curious to see what comes next for uh, this long-forgotten series. I think, it's, I think it's great. I had legitimately never heard of the series before... 
uh, I guess I'd seen a trophy or something in, what was it, Melee or something like that? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, we actually yep. we talked about it before when this game was uh, revealed in a Nintendo Direct. That's right, that's right, that's right. Yeah, because we we're all kind of like, wait, where, where have we heard of this before? Oh, right, it's because they, they kind of teased it a little bit in Smash. You could find a little trophy or a spirit or something like that. So, so yeah, I think it's great that they're bringing it to a wider audience. I mean, we one of the things that we've praised Nintendo on this show for is in general is just lately with the switch they've been highlighting a lot of a lot of long forgotten stuff like hell i even heard what two days ago or yesterday they just announced that they're bringing back zombies ate my neighbors which is like a long forgotten super nintendo game it's 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 great that a lot they're taking it seems to be these these games that didn't have exactly any kind of audience in the west or a very wide audience in the west and they're just giving them a shot so i think that's really cool um, there was that Konami game that was also announced. They're in a recent, uh, a recent Nintendo showcase. Mm-hmm. The, uh, I don't remember yeah. the name of it off the top of my head, but Getsu uh, Fumadan. Yeah, that's Getsu what it is. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think it's, I think they're, it seems as though they're making more of an effort lately to put that kind of stuff on the switch, uh, whether that's digital only or not. So I think it's cool. Yeah, I talked about in the review how definitely we've been seeing more localizations, which hopefully Mother 3 will be soon. But um, we saw we <laughs> saw Super help. Mario, um, what was it? Mario Super Pit Cross. That was the one. Fire Emblem 30th Anniversary, which is no right, longer yes. available for some stupid reason. And uh, what were the other two I was thinking of? Oh, Earthbound Beginnings, which was the first Mother game localized. And then the, the mysterious Murasame... Castle. I think that's the name. Yeah, yeah. No, the game you're talking about. Like that. Yeah, it was on the 3DS, but they uh, they gave it to us. <laughs> well, hopefully they can port them to the dang Switch, uh, which is what we all which is what we all want. Uh, that being said, is there anything else you want to kind of mention about this about this this little collection? Uh, here's a dumb question for you guys: Is this two separate? items or is it one collection it is two separate, two separate. items yes. but Got one it. thing to highlight is they're 30 dollars each but if you have one game you get a 10 dollars discount on the other so you know nintendo really incentivizing you to pick up both of them together that is awesome oh yeah i i wish that there was that or for other series like because oftentimes when i'm if i really like a game um like that's one of the first things I'll do is I'll look on the eShop like oh you know is there a sequel to it is there is there a spin-off is there something like that is there something else in the series mm-hmm. and it's like yes there is but it's you know it's full price it's whatever so i think it's it would be awesome if if there was some kind of promotion i know they do that every now and then but if there was more of those kinds of promotions where it's like hey you get the first part of the series and if you you know buy the next one in the series it's a little bit more of a discount like that would be awesome Mm-hmm. I think that like Bay- they did that with Bayonetta on Switch, I believe. Right, um, like, so, like yeah, more of yeah. that kind of stuff would be great. Yeah, that would be great. But I don't know. I think this was a rare case where Nintendo, you know, didn't put a lot of effort into the game, you know, compared to their other titles, so they could put those discounts out there. But they wouldn't be so charitable with many other series, I imagine. No, sadly, sadly, no. Yeah. Well, uh, that being said, is, is there anything else we need to to wrap up with in regards to uh, Famicom Detective Club? I mean, I don't think so. If you're interested in detective stories, then like Castlevania, go play it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you really don't have an excuse not to. It's really good. It's a little, it shows its age in some areas, but uh, it's, it's really good. Yep, I will echo those same remarks and say that even if, you know, you're not a huge fan of, say, visual novels or these kinds of adventure games, it's still very accessible, despite its age. So if you're the slightest bit interested in either this kind of game, or if you just want to read a really great mystery story, pick these games up. They appeal to both, you know, players of video games or readers of books, you know, because of how much text there is in it. So it's a really great kind of game if you just want to kick back, experience a really intriguing story. Uh, for every now and again. So I definitely hardly recommend it. Awesome. Well, there you go. And so you can check out both Campbell and Mark's reviews of these two separate games over on Google Stomp. We're going to take one more quick break. We're going to close it out with a little indie spotlight for you all. So hang tight, and we'll be right back.
And we're back. We've got a little indie spotlight for you for a game I've been playing called Scourgebringer. Now, this is an interesting one. Uh, this game actually, actually has been out for several months at this point. It came out last October. Interestingly, it is a roguelite that came, came out right around the same time as Hades came out on the Switch. So it, you can imagine it got sort of buried under the, you know, the accolades that that game received. But the reason it kind of came across my mind lately is that just recently the developer, Flying Oak, Flying Oak Games, I think it's called, um, Oak Tree Games, Flying Oak Games, something like that, mm-hmm. they, they ported it to the PlayStation Vita. So it was kind of like back, you know, however briefly back in the news. And I figured like, okay, well, we could talk about this game since it's a, a great, another great Switch roguelite. It, it very much follows in the the roguelite tradition uh, of a, a difficult action game, very much in the style of Dead Cells, if you guys have played that. It's a 2D action game, extremely difficult. You die pretty quickly. Runs are, are pretty fast. You can clear a biome in a matter of minutes and move on to the next one. It, the, the whole gameplay is all about staying airborne. You have a great double jump and a dash. It's all about staying airborne, attacking enemies, reflecting bullets, dodging past certain creatures so you can slash the guy behind them. Really fantastically tight gameplay. But I think the thing that helps it stand out is its art style. It's a it's a pixelated, again, kind of in the style of Dead, uh, Dead Cells, a, a pixelated 2D action platformer roguelite style of game so it it looks fantastic very much in that 8-bit style that is popular or has been popular for indie games lately and this game totally 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 hooked me in a way that i didn't expect uh especially like a a game like this that came out several months ago i kind of had forgotten about it and then to, to see it pop up again it made me inspired to play it and I've been hooked. Uh, I, I used to think that I didn't like this kind of game, like the difficult roguelite or roguelike. I was like, I only like Hades. Like, that's the only one I like. But having played Hades and played Returnal and a lot of Dead Cells and now this game, Scourgebringer, I guess I do like these games. <laughs> um, so I, I learned something about myself kind of in the course of, of playing this game over the last week or two. Campbell, we were talking. This game was featured on Indie Spotlight months ago over on Goomba Stomp, but I remember we were talking just a couple of days ago about kind of the the art style and and how it and how it looks. Uh, do you guys have any any questions about uh, about this game? Yeah, I it do. looks very good. It does look <laughs> amazing. I mean, <laughs> the, the enemies look like good. they're from straight out of Metroid. Yeah, especially yeah, like the mushroom-looking ones. They literally look yeah, like yeah. Metroids. There's definitely like little wormies that crawl up along the sides of the walls. It, it's true. It definitely draws a lot from the Metroid style, just in terms of like the way enemy patterns move or or how they float in the air and attack you. There's definitely a little Metroid in this game for mm-hmm. sure. They even have like the black um, backgrounds, like the original Metroid. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's easy to differentiate them from. Uh, from the environment like yeah totally easy to the the sprites are really well really well animated very very easy to to, to see um it kind of reminds me i i think i mentioned this briefly in an indie snippet i wrote for for goomba stop it reminds me a lot of hyperlight drifter that's exactly what well. i was going to ask you about i because, thought you were yeah yeah, yeah that is ahead. like you know as i've mentioned on the show before one of my favorite games of all time so whenever sure. that comparison gets brought up i'm very interested because on the one hand people compare games to hld a lot just because of you know neon colored art style and pixelated or whatever but sure. you know also if the gameplay is like you know intense sword play focused or whatever then it also merits comparison so what what led you to make that comparison there sure well part of uh, there, a, a main mechanic of scourgebringer is you have your sword you have you have three attacks you have your sword you have like a stunning, they call it the smash. It has like a big wind up, but it stuns enemies. And then you have a gun. Um, mm-hmm. And the way you charge up the gun is by attacking enemies, which is a very uh, hyper light drifter mm-hmm. style of, of action. So you have to kind of get in there, slash a bunch of enemies, get out, fire off your gun, wait for, you know, get back in, charge up that reload again. Like it, it there's this constant push and pull between 
rushing in to get up in your enemy's faces and dodging out of the way when they inevitably return fire. So in that regard, it is very hyperlight drifter. That said, I would say that's probably the probably the barest comparison I could make, b- besides the graphics, obviously. Um, but yeah, but definitely the, the, the combination of sword and gunplay to me was like, oh, that instantly reminded me of of Hyperlight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can definitely see those comparisons and imagine that. Um, the game looks fantastic. We've already talked about that several times by now, but the game does look amazing. Um, so, you know, I've also talked about, you know, the kind of gameplay mechanics and whatnot. Is there any sort of, like, story for the game or any sort of, like, narrative that grows out of it? It's interesting. Or? So when you when you first fire up the game, obviously there's, like, an intro. You know, like like any new game. You press new game, you get a little intro. And the game asks you from that point on, hey, do you want to see this intro every time or just one time? Oh. Um, so oh. It, it, so you can tell that they're not very concerned about whether or not players care about the story. Nice. Um, <laughs> they, they, they don't force you to sit and watch the intro every time. You can just watch it once and be like, all right, I got it. And then kind of continue with your, with your gameplay. Just because you die, it's so easy to die in this game and to restart and to, you know, to have to restart your run all over. So they don't want you to have to sit and re-watch the intro every single time. That said, what's there is certainly intriguing. Uh, Basically, there's a big obelisk-looking thing that appeared in the sky and just, you know, ruined everything. The titular Scourgebringer, if you will. And so people have been entering this big obelisk tower thingy, and once they come in, they don't come out. Um, and so your, your little, uh, not your tribe exactly, but like your, you are like the, the top warrior of this little clan and they're like, all right, you're the best one. You got to see what's going on with this thing. So we're going to give you a sword. We're going to send you off. We trust that you are the one who's going to be able to come out of this, this ordeal alive. And that's kind of where it starts off. And it's, so it's, you know, basically battling your way through, to, to see what to see what's at the end to see what's causing this big thing to appear and and just wreck everybody so so you know it's, there's certainly a little bit of intrigue there but ultimately it's more it's more of like a gameplay focused situation um, mm-hmm. there are certainly as you as you move through it you do find little uh, I can't remember if they're floppy disks or something you find little diskettes to to read that have little snippets of dialogue. And they're, you know, very, of course, very cryptic. It kind of feels Bioshocky, and that it's like, you know, it, it's like somebody's last words, like, oh, I'm, I'm, I've made it to this thing. Nobody can hear me. Like, da 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 da. The very, very cryptic messages that you find. So it's kind of like piecing those together too, which is, of course, kind of a staple of this kind of game at this point. Just finding little snippets of of story over the course of several dozen runs. So it's intriguing. I, I don't know that I'm necessarily like fully bought in on the the drama of the story, but it's there's enough there to, to bring you in for sure. Nice. Yeah, it, this kind of genre doesn't really require an amazing story. You know, games like Hades are the exception, of course. So it does. Sure, I was sure. about to say. Yeah. yeah. It, it does sound like even then, it does a good job of at least trying to have more of a narrative there and have, you know, a narrative that grows as you discover those different hints. Yeah, yeah. There, there's definitely like stuff that goes on. You meet these these shopkeepers uh, again, much much like much like Dead Cells, much like Hades. You find little shops throughout the story, but but all the stores are run by in uh, by real characters, and they don't have a lot of dialogue. You know, of course, they're like, oh, you know, buy my wares or whatever. But they all kind of know each other, so they're like, oh, did you go see that shopkeeper? Like, hmm, okay, great. Like, so it's, it kind of makes you wonder, like, oh, do these guys have do these guys have beef with each other? Like, what's is there going to be any kind of interaction between the different shopkeepers and and how they how they treat each other? Like, if I purchase a lot from one, is that going to impact another one? Like, I I'm, I don't know if they're going to get that deep with it, but it does make me wonder. Like, there's enough little dialogue there to make me intrigued about about these little side characters. So there, there's there's stuff going on. There's there's definitely little little bits and bobs to to keep players invested but that being said it's it's really good the music is awesome uh it's the same guy who did the music for uh i don't know if you guys played it for who did bro force uh oh, okay. just oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. wow yeah yeah, yeah. So that, that kind of like thrash time. metal like really <laughs> really hype epic guitar riffs uh the battle music is is exceptionally good it makes you just super hype to to clear a room um it's it's like 
I don't know. It feels like situational, you know. So when you get into a room, it's a really intense fight. It's like it really pumps you up, and then as soon as you finish the fight, it like just drops out instantly. It's like it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, everything about it just feels very fluid. The 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 animations for for movement and jumping and slashing are just really clear and really clear cut. It looks you know, looks incredible. It's this type of game, I know that pixel art is kind of. I don't know. I, I, maybe it's a little overdone at this point. I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about it. I, I think it's I think it's great. I never get tired of it. But I know some people have expressed like, oh, wow, another indie game with with pixel art. It's like to me, I think it's great. It's timeless. But yeah, that's the best looks, part about them. They age. You know what perfectly. I mean? It just mm-hmm. ages perfectly. I totally agree with you. It, like, no matter when you're coming to this game, whether you first played it on Switch, uh, you know, six or eight months ago. Or you're getting into it now on your on your Vita or uh, you know on Steam or whatever you're playing it on. Like it, it truly does look phenomenal and plays extremely well. So I don't know. It's um, if I know that Hades has brought a lot of people to this type of game, and I know obviously Dead Cells and Binding of Isaac are constantly getting new updates and stuff like that. So if you played any of those games, you played Spelunky 2, whatever, you're you're interested in this type of a game and you want a little more of an action-oriented one, this one might be for you. Uh, it's it's really good and it's tough, but it's fun. Like I even though I've I've barely made it past like the second biome out of out of several biomes, there's uh just you always feel like you're progressing. You're you're constantly finding new new loot and new ways to upgrade your skill tree. Like you have a permanent skill tree that carries over between runs, and that's really cool. So it it does feel like it's taking, like it's taking the roguelite genre, and it's it doesn't you know completely kick you in the teeth. It's like it's giving you little incremental upgrades as you go on. So it, it's it feels as though it has some some modern touches to it um, as well. So it's I don't know. I I recommend it. I think it's really good. Um, and it's, you know, it's over on the eShop there on Switch. And it's not very expensive either. I know that Dead Cells rarely goes below $20. And Hades, of course, is like $30 standard. And I think it's it's like halfway between, I think it's like $16, $17. So if, you, if you're into this kind of game, just lots of replayability, fantastic art style and music. So yeah, I'd, re- I'd recommend Scourge Ringer. It's pretty, uh, pretty, uh, pretty great. I don't know, any more, uh, any more questions about this game? I'm slowly like just getting into roguelites. I've been so burned yeah. on like the genre so many times. Yeah, and I then agree after Hades, that. I feel like I've been slowly getting into it, even though I haven't been able to really play Hades that much because of work and stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, this one looks really good. Yeah, man, I, I recommend it. And uh, again, it's there's maybe a little less to hold on to than with Hades. Like with Hades, there's there's just so much to to like love 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 about that game this one's a little more straightforward it's like either you really like this style of super intense action or you don't and that's there's a little maybe a little less to to hold on to but it's still really good i know that i feel like hades for me really really made me understand why people like these kinds of games so it's been really fun for me to to experience new new types of this genre, new new entries into this space. So I don't know. I, I've been I've been enjoying it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. If, if if Hades did connect with you, Mark, and you you know you have the time and the energy to invest in a super hard two uh, D style of that game, I don't know. Maybe maybe give it a shot. We but, never uh, spoke about it on the podcast, but the like one of the like the final straws for roguelites for me, where I was like, I just can't get into this genre. Um, Campbell, you actually edited my review for me at the time. I believe it was called West of Dead, and Ron Perlman voiced oh, the main man. character. What I a re- game. <laughs> I remember that. That, that was a fun read, your review. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a game that didn't pan out how I thought it would. It was yeah. Well, man. hopefully Scourgebrainer isn't West of Dead and perhaps it's <laughs> um, East of Life. I don't know. Um, yeah, there you go. Hopefully yeah. it's good. I, uh, I, I do. I do highly recommend it. It's a, it's a, it's a good game. And uh, obviously being able to play it portable gives it just that much more, that much more oomph that, uh, like, I, I think these kinds of games truly do benefit from, like, this one, here's what I'll say as kind of a final point it has a real pick up and play energy that 
that maybe Hades has a little less of. Like with Hades, a run can take you like 40 minutes. Do you know what I mean? Um, and if you're doing really well, maybe 20, you know, 29 minutes, 30 minutes. Like, but but the runs are are fairly fairly long. And I know you can you can kind of drop any you can you can exit that game and still pick up in any room you left off, which is really cool. But I think that Scourgebringer has even more kind of pick up and play energy just because the rooms are really short. Like like a, a single biome might have, you know, 10 or 15 rooms, but they can be cleared in, in seconds. Like you, you get into a room, you slash five guys, the room is over. So picture that, you know, times 10. Even then a, a biome can, can run you just a, a ha- four minutes, you know? Like you can, you can get through a zone in just a handful of minutes, which is really cool. Uh, it really does have kind of this forward momentum thing that's awesome. So I don't know. It, it's more of a fast-paced, action-oriented style of game, which which I've been enjoying. So, so I don't know. That's my that's my thoughts over on Scourge Ringer. You can check out a uh, a little indie snippet over on Goomba Stomp, of course. And uh, that being said, I guess we should probably wrap it up here, unless you guys have any more indie indies we want to shout out here. No. I haven't been able to play anything. <laughs> no, we've all listened. We've all been busy. There's been a lot going on. It's, so uh, yeah. that being it's said, it's that season. It's that type of season. We know summer is just around the corner. So hang tight. Then we'll have all the time to stay indoors and play video games, just like just like God intended in the summertime. Amen. So uh, <laughs> make sure you uh, you check out Mark's uh, thoughts over on the Castlevania anime from Netflix, and of course Campbell and Mark both have reviews up of the Famicom Detective Club. Those couple of games in the series. You can find me over on Twitter uh, at Action Daxon. And Mark, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Markel, and that, of course, is Mark with the C, Cal with the K. Uh, you can, as Cameron said, you can read my reviews of the final season of Castlevania. Um, I have the review for Famicom Detective Club, The Missing Air, and then I will also have a tips guide for both games in the series. Except that will be out on Friday. And that is because Nintendo. <laughs> uh, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, and uh, Campbell, what about you? Where can people find you on the internet? Of course, you can find me on Twitter at CampbellSGill, and that's uppercase CSG. Very important, of course. Um, you can find all my games writing at GoombaStomp.com. Be sure to check out, like you mentioned, Cameron, check out my review of The Girl Who Stands Behind. And also keep an eye out for another uh, Famicom Detective Club article that I have coming out also probably on Friday, if you're a little torn about which game you should play first. So do keep an eye out for those. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, of course, you can follow the N-Express podcast over on Twitter. We are at N-Express Nintendo. We are also on YouTube. If you look up the Nintendo N-Express podcast or just the N-Express podcast, we should show up there. So make sure you give us a like, comment, subscribe, all that kind of good stuff. More engagement helps the show, helps more people find us, helps the listeners get even more invested. So we appreciate all of that. That being said, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time.